0: Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Hi
1: everyone, I'm Susie White, a product innovation coach, author, and podcaster in the food and beverage industry from Melbourne, Australia. Today, I'm talking with Alison Swindles. She's the business development manager for Australasia at The Food People. They're a global food trends and ideas agency who have a shared love of food and drink and a passion for gastronomic trends. Their goal is to help small and large businesses develop market-winning products and big food ideas. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, then you will have noticed that the end of 2019 is upon us, and that makes it a great time to look ahead and think about what the new decade will bring. So in this episode, Alison shares with us their hot off the press predictions about global macro drivers and trends influencing food and drinks into the year 2020 and beyond you'll hear about two very different sides of a future-looking trend wheel. One, which focuses on mindful consumption, healthy renewal, and eco-preservation. While the other side embraces the playful delight of cultural creativity and pleasure-seeking. And in the aftertaste section, I make three suggestions about how you could harness the power of food and beverage trends to inspire new product ideas for your business. So welcome to the podcast today, Alison. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's set the scene for our listeners. First of all, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's your role in the business and how did you first get involved in food watching and trend spotting?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I started in um, fashion design and illustration, but ended up in hospitality and ran a a series of restaurants, which I really thoroughly enjoyed. I ended up in Italy for six and a half years. So I suppose that reinforced my love of food and uh, extended my knowledge of food. During that time, I ran a restaurant in a seaside resort and then uh, ended up doing a law degree and with a particular focus on intellectual property. So even though I've jumped Around a little bit. I think I've just ended up where I really need to be. I've combined all of the things that I'm truly interested in, and here I am. And tell us, what's your role in the food people? I'm the business development manager for Australasia. So I'm the client facing representation for the company, but uh, I suppose my role is sort of twofold insofar as I deal with clients, I am building a business presence throughout the region. Uh, But I also am part of an information back
1: feeds back into the system. And I'm super excited for us to talk today because I think trend watching, trend spotting and food predictions is something that is relevant to every food and beverage business. And I understand you've recently revealed your future macro trend predictions for 2020 and 2021. And I'd love to dive into those today in more details to give our listeners a sense of what's coming, what's coming in the world of food and beverage. How do you even get to those trends?
2: It's a really interesting process, and um, we sort of start for the year to come around about October. We sort of pool our ideas and our intuitions into a big wealth of research, at which stage our head of Bespoke will be going through those to sort of highlight the common themes that are really emerging. So we're all working a little bit off our intuition, but also you know, very much um, moving around the food space all the time, so, so sort of picking up on things that really are starting to play out, perhaps even just at grassroots level. So once we've collated that pool of information, it's taken through um, a second process. And that's using the um, assistance of cultural psychologists, along with semioticians, uh, dieticians, nutritionists, uh, development chefs. Once it's gone through that process, it's set out into a map, which takes the form of a wheel. At the centre of the wheel we have the driving force, which we consider to be the key driving force within society. This year that happens to be securing the future. That's surrounded by some of the cultural trends that play out from that. This year we have five, uh, which is then developed into 12 macro trends within which each section, there are a series of manifestations which really sort of take you down to, you know, what is playing out in the world of food.
1: And I love that idea that global drivers lead to then those macro-cultural trends that then underpin the food and beverage trends. And did I correctly read that you have something like over a 1,000 spotters in 33 countries and a lot of connections with chefs and restaurants?
2: That's right. So the information bank that we, that we have, there's over a 1,000 sources of information that are constantly being distilled and we've got a presence in 33 different countries Chefs alone would be somewhere in the vicinity of five to six hundred chefs that we're in contact with. Uh, part of that group would be comprised of journalists, bloggers, dietitians, um naturopaths. So um yeah, it's a complex web and very, very interesting, and there's a full-time team. That works at distilling those into the reports. And then on the other side of the business, the bespoke side of the business, there's a full-time team that, that does that on behalf of individual clients who want to take a really granular look at the world of food or beverage in a specific category and or channel.
1: And you mentioned then this idea that it is really a worldwide Effort. And what's your thoughts? Because I can imagine a lot of the listeners for this podcast are Australian based food and beverage businesses or, or foodies. But actually, what's your thoughts, Alison, on how important is it that we get that worldwide lens?
2: Look, I think it works both ways. You know, I, I do know there's a, there's a huge interest in watching Austria and what, what it is that we do so well. And likewise, so no, no, nobody can exist in isolation. We're all. Boring and, and adapting ingredients from other countries and flavours and inspiration. So absolutely, you know, I don't, I don't really think those barriers are there anymore. And it's only a matter of time, you know, perhaps before something will reach our shores that's of interest. But I, I think the unique thing about our demographic is Australian companies, by and large, with whom I've dealt with, tend to say... They really like to look strongly at what's happening within Australia. And we all know at the back of that sits the proposition that we do tend to cherry pick from what's happening in the rest of the world.
1: And so for this group of Australian cherry pickers of all the best that is worldwide, let's talk about some of those food and beverage trends and where they're coming from, those cultural drivers that are underpinning them. What do you foresee in the future? What should some of the listeners be ready for?
2: Absolutely. I think before, you know, you go, Michael, you have to look at the big picture. And we know that the core driving, cultural driver this year has sort of morphed from what we call revolution to everyone having, you know, had enough to securing the future. So there's a bit of an overtone of optimism there that we're working from a base of that, which is a fantastic space. Looking at one section of our trends map to the right side of the map, which is in the form of a wheel, you can see a lot of the emergent trends. So we actually plot these out on a bell curve and these sit within the emergent space, which is a pretty good space to be working from, particularly if you're looking at putting something into your pipeline. Features of that would be thoughtful capitalism. So, you know, the conscious consumer and what's driving them in terms of food, how that spells out, you know, in terms of food and uh, where you're you're, um, accessing your food from, the packaging that you're putting it in, um, the feeling that it instills in the customer when they buy it and and the need to really sort of be having a direct conversation with your with your consumer, pragmatism I think is there too, so waste falls under that one, and I think we've seen a change in the in the concept of you know waste not now has moved to you know not just minimize waste but you repurpose anything that happens to be still defined as waste. It should be turned into something else. If you're if you're serving coffee, um, you know, or you've got coffee grounds, grinds sitting there, you know, turn them into a beauty product. Um, Everything should have another purpose, not just landfill. So we're you know looking specifically at things like that. At sustainability, clearly within that, we look at things such as the need to utilise everything um, in, for example, an animal. If we're looking at animal-based protein, we can look to inspiration from people like Josh Nyland. Uh, Josh Nyland is a pioneer in the area of fish and seafood. He's a young chef who's really made a name for himself worldwide. He believes in a, a fish to tail philosophy. He utilises every part of a fish, uh, Including the eyes and the scales, so there's absolutely no waste there, um, and and he is spreading that message loud and clear and getting a lot of, a lot of attention. So I think that sort of feeds into now the the whole frenzy of the animal-based versus you know sustainable farming. Um, insofar as if we are going to turn to that fish meal or that meat-based dish once a week, we, we can sit comfortably with that. And, it, and that might also elevate that particular meal to something quite special. So we might want to go um, and, and splurge a little and buy something and we probably want to know where it comes from. So there's a, there's a whole lot of considerations that will sit behind a consumer choice and they all sort of interact together quite well. And I think that uh, the sustainability and ethical aspect of it is really important. Another aspect of that would have to be the health aspect we saw that movement grow and grow to a desire for everything we have to have some sort of health aspect to it or promise of what it's going to do for us. We're now seeing that health desire turn into something that, uh, that demands that people want to stay healthier for longer. So as we age, we expect to stay as well, maybe cut back on certain aspects of our lives, but still enjoy a certain degree of health. So we've raised the threshold there as well. Um, that's getting quite specific now, and we're looking at functional foods um, even more strongly. And we almost want to know that everything that we consume in the world of food and drink has some beneficial aspect for our health and well-being. Uh, whether that be in terms of being fortified with something, um, but we want it to either help our sleep, our general wellness, uh, possibly our mental wellness, or our gut, feeding our gut. There's, there's an element of that that we look for in almost everything we purchase, and it, there is a lot of evidence out there to suggest that it is the health aspect of the consumer choice that is driving the movement toward the plant-based and, and not the meat-based, and that that health aspect seems to be a priority over and above the ethical or environmental considerations.
1: I can think of many uh, small and medium businesses who would be thrilled to hear that functional benefits and fortified health is still going on and, and going to be an ongoing trend. So it sounds like going back to that universal global driver, all of these trends you've been talking about then, the consciousness of consumers and the pragmatism of the lack of waste and actually repurposing waste, that really thoughtful consumption of animal products, it's playing back to maybe that longer term view as opposed to sort of short term gratification. Is that a fair summary? I'd say so. Absolutely. I think there's
2: sort of, there's also an element of less is more playing into that, slowing down aging um, in the health world. There's also sort of a halo around the vegan side of the equation, which I think is pulling people going straight from an animal protein based diet to a vegan diet, and then sort of moderating back. A lot of people are looking for convenience. We, we know that um, we're seeing a huge resurgence in the convenience space, which is great. And I know that we sort of had it sort of fly over the top of us probably five or six years ago. Um, whilst overseas, that you know has built into their everyday now the array of ready-made and convenience foods in the you know throughout the whole uh, industry, particularly in the big retailers, is is vast. And huge and 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 reliable and, and just part of everyday, um, but now we're really you know we're seeing it we're seeing it playing out in a big way.
1: That completely makes sense. As consumers, we are still looking for convenient solutions. One of the things I love about the work you do at the Food People is how you map trends as they're going through their level of trend establishment and how you plot it almost like on a consumer consumption curve of whether it's sort of emerging or it's gaining momentum, or it's becoming mainstream, or it's become ubiquitous and it's accepted by everyone in the market. Do you also sort of plot it as it moves through those different channels, through the sort of the high-end restaurants right down to to the high street? So
2: yes is the short answer. Uh, We do. And we do that each time for each particular macro trend. We do that within the, the new regime that we launch each year. So that is very much a part of it. But they are great. We also chart various other things. We um, have a cuisines map, and that's an interesting you know, way of gauging uh, where the movement is uh, as well. And they are charted according to the evidence of trendsetting influence um, on, and the scale of hype and buzz. And so there are different ways that we gauge. And yes, we update, and through the year, um, we might run a few webinars with a bit of an update because things change. And we also take a retrospective, which is really useful halfway through the year we will look back on the six months and say, well, this is this is where we've come from there. You've got to look back before you look forward.
1: How would you describe the difference between a fad and a more enduring trend? Do you have an official description of those? I think you might have just answered it actually, Susan. Oh, tell me. How?
2: <laughs> well, the word enduring, I, I think, you know, the, it's it's the longevity and being able to point to the origins of it. So it's sort of look back, look forward again. Um if it's manifested at a grassroots level, which is often where you'll pick up something of interest, particularly in Australia, you know, we we're, we're free, you know we things come up just out of nowhere, and it's it's fascinating to watch. So you might be at a regional market even or the vegan markets in one of our capital cities, or something just sort of resonates and you, and then you suddenly you spot it again here and there, and then' it's, then it's come, and it's no sooner has it come than it's gone. and I think really you know from a practical point of view that's really a fact. It was in passing. And if you can't really pin it to a, a cultural force and you can't identify something that's sort of propelling it that's it's behind it then, it, then it may well be. Um, but I think time will tell you because you never discount the possibility that something's just, you know, things going viral on the internet. Never discount the possibility that it's just someone's going to be on the uptake with it and it's just, you know, especially if it hits the right demographic, the right age group.
1: You know what I think you just did, Alison? You actually answered the question in a way that I hadn't even formulated. So yes, it's two factors. It's time. Is it enduring? But also an adoption. How many people are going to get on board with it? And therefore, is it fleeting and gone and small? And those are kind of those emerging ones that never make it up to those gaining momentum or becoming mainstream. Or does it actually go that full adoption curve and actually become part of the cultural psyche and I feel like that's what everyone's after. They're always like, what's going to be the next quinoa or kombucha or kale? What's going to go that whole curve and become the next big thing that we should ride the wave on? It's time for a quick break now to thank our sponsor. When we come back, you'll hear from Alison of The Food People about other macro trends that will shape the types of food and drinks that consumers are looking for in 2020 and beyond. I'd like to say a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible, the Monash Food Innovation Centre. They can help you fast track and de risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of those businesses that gets it right, then the Monash Food Innovation Centre can help. It has cutting-edge technologies, product development services and runs capability workshops to upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. Whether you're a food startup or a large corporation, check them out at www.foodinnovationcentre.com. And see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Welcome back. We've heard from Alison Swindles at The Food People about one side of their macro trend wheel. It was all about food and drinks that offered thoughtful capitalism, waste pragmatism, eco preservation, and benefits like healthy renewal. However, that's only one half of the full picture. And so I asked Alison, what's on the other side of the trend prediction wheel that might offer us some fresh inspiration for the food and drinks of the future?
2: It's fantastically fun on the other side as well. I mean, it's it's not that it's not fun on the, on the first half, but the second half really gets us down to the pleasure principle, um, cultural creativity, and don't stop the gratification. So that's the other side of us. You know, we know that, you know, on the one side, we want to feel good about that purchase because... We're not causing any particular harm. Or, but on the other side, of it, hey, wait a minute, it's got to taste great and it's got to be a fun experience.
1: And you just said two sentences that completely caught my attention. Pleasure principle and don't stop the gratification or great expressions. What might products look like that are really hitting those needs?
2: On the pleasure principle side, the deeper flavour would have to really resonate for me. So, you know, desserts mean business. So this crossover between sweet and savoury that we've been seeing for some time is really playing out into desserts. So more vegetables in the desserts, more, you know, seasonings that we might equate with the savoury meal in the desserts and quite fantastical at the same time, you know, that we all seem to be drawn to. We actually are more than drawn to it. We're kind of accustomed to it now. And I think it's that you know, the demand for it is spreading over all sorts of things. So it's the sweet savoury on the sweet side. We've got cocktails that, you know, are starting to look a little bit more savoury too. You know, we've got things with cucumber and avocado and all manner of things. So, and it's exciting and we're a little bit spoilt for it and we just keep wanting more. On the nature side, how that plays into it, there's some exciting things. Um, Tropical, um, watch this as we get further into um, the the new year at the tail end of of summer. Uh, Winecraft, so we know a little bit about the natural wines coming through, but also being quite playful with those. Fairy tale forest. Um, Australia does that really well already and it's really coming out through here and you can see just um, on a, you know, if you go to sort of the high end of some of the restaurants, you can see the sort of the forest and the barks and the, the moulds and the, and various things being incorporated into the plate, which look really exciting and sort of take us back and bring up feelings of nostalgia. Uh, we've got cultural transformation, uh, which is sort of sweet um, teas, reimagined, and next wave spirits. So smoking and techniques playing out into spirits and alcohol. We've started to see that sort of on the shelves already, but really that's just going to get a little bit more technique driven. And I think we're looking for artisan and technique in that space. Engineering magic. Well, biotech, imitations of seafood, prawns that crunch. that aren't really prawns, they're algae. The world of foe, you know, we've got now coming through in Australia, we've got lab-based kangaroo. Is that something that we're going to see mainstream or is there a certain hesitation around that? It's really, really, really interesting. You know, until now it's been animal-based versus plant-based is the sort of the debate.
1: Wow. I think my mind just exploded then listening to all of those (laughs) trends coming through. This is an interesting side of your uh, trend wheel. This is, as you said, the pleasure principle. It's about Indulgence—it's about the theatre. It's about appealing to neophiles and the newness and the difference. It's a really different side of the wheel, isn't it?
2: It is, and I think you know that—that's food, um, really, in in my experience. And I know that we want both. We find a way to feel good about, you know, I think we want to have that cake today, and then we want to know that there's something in there that maybe hasn't brought a lot of harm to anyone, but in particular, that has been put a lot of care into it. There's a lot of things that we may not articulate in our day-to-day choices that are driven by all of this. It's a subject that people like to talk about. And the more and more I talk to people outside of the industry, you know, everyone has an opinion and everyone seems to have a very strong opinion about what feels right to them.
1: Yes, I could just imagine everybody must bail you up at every party you go to. <laughs> Is it okay if you provide a copy of that trend wheel for listeners? Because I feel like that would be super helpful for them to bring to life our discussion a little bit more.
2: Absolutely. be very happy to do so. And if there's any questions whatsoever, I'm just happy um, to answer. Or if they just want to have a chat about food, well, that's never a problem for me.
1: Great. All right. So I will put that link in the show notes so people can download that as maybe a PDF and, and have a look in more detail at that trend wheel. Once people have that wheel or they listen to the podcast and they, they start to get a better understanding about maybe some of the trend predictions coming up and the future of food and beverage, what's your recommendation, Alison, on what should they do with that knowledge?
2: There's something about sitting down and just sort of looking at it, you know, maybe in a shared experience and having a discussion and sort of using those terms of reference to make some decisions about, so if you're a food manu- manufacturer, for example, you could think about how the cultural trends and the drivers, et cetera, overlay over those food trends that are manifesting and then decide which of those macro trends of the 12 uh, are most applicable to your brand or category that you're working in uh, if you're working on a specific project. You know, that's what you'd be doing um, if you are working with us. We'd really be wanting to to look at what resonates with what you are doing or planning to do in the future. If you're not a food manufacturer, if you were for example from a hospitality group, you'd be wanting to know what's on the horizon. You may like to know sort of what the timeline is on some, some of these, what to work to. Look, there's so many different ways that you can engage with it. I think as an organisation, this is a great tool. I often go into companies, small and large, who probably haven't really sort of tried to deconstruct trends in this way. And I suppose the first response is, oh, this is, you know, a lot to take in. But once you get to work with it and you narrow it down to the relevant aspects, it is a fantastic way of breaking this down into some sort of cohesive discussion. And it can also bridge the gap between your, your product development side of a business and perhaps the marketing where people are, you know, they think differently, they're wired quite differently. So it can provide a really great sort of common ground to work from and to build upon.
1: And what I particularly like using food and beverage specific trends like these is they're so actionable, particularly if you take them into an ideation workshop, because you can take in a whole group of trends and say, well, this is happening currently and here are the drivers underneath it. And let's not go chasing exactly the same Experience or the same articulation of that trend. So you were saying then, for example, the the merging and melding of sweet and savoury, and you know what's going to be the next wavey big trend, and can we come up with those melding of those two flavours? So just ideating off that alone could give you hundreds of ideas, lots of different flavour variants or expressions of a current product or a new product. So I really like them for that use. Let's say, Alison, that people are looking at this saying it's great. I feel much more informed and inspired, but I'm still a little bit lost and I'm not really sure what to do with it. How could people work with you and the food people to kind of inspire and build some of their product pipelines?
2: Sure. I think the first step is just reach out. You know, I speak to people every day. Um, Some people want me to point them in the direction of something. Uh, Following on from that, I think people need to know, um, you know, what they'd like to get from the food people, um, in which case Trend Hub is a subscription-based service that you pay for on a 12-monthly basis, and there's five areas within that that you can subscribe to. And we even have a specific area entitled Category Watching, which is terrific because it's a dedicated to distinct category reports which are very similar to our bespoke reports and very comprehensive. That is the subscription side of the business. The flip side is, is that we are at heart a consultancy So we do differ from a market research company. We sit really well alongside uh, market research and we do include that in our information source. But we are, by nature, prospective as opposed to entirely retrospective. So I think that's really important to point out. Therefore, uh, we do have the agility to look at bespoke reporting. So we have a dedicated team that works on that. If there's a particular area that you want to explore and look at it at a really granular level. Uh, We've got flexibility to build that into different types of reports. It might even take the form of a big scoop of sort of what's going on in the world or a certain demographic um, with, with a certain product that we then build into a report. Following on from that, it might be appropriate to organize a food safari, which we do everywhere in the world, to sample so that experiential layer of the top of that can be a wonderful thing. It's great for a team quite aside from that, as a team team building exercise. But it gives you the opportunity to get out there and and see what might be playing out and and, and what it is that we're identifying as an opportunity. And we do have the capacity through our menu watching to go and do a big scoop of menus somewhere quite obscure. Um, Sometimes we have to go there physically, other times we have the capacity to do that. So, you know, if it sounds a bit far-fetched and you don't think anyone can do it, well, just, you know, run it past me because I don't know that we can't.
1: I love that expression. I might have to borrow it. The perspective versus retrospective. That's a great way of describing the services. So we've got Trends Hub. We've got the delicious sounding food and drink safaris. We've got menu watching. We've got cuisines map. And if anyone does have any specific questions for you, Alison, what's the best way for them to contact you?
2: Oh, email. I'll make sure that, that they get that along with the
1: Trends Map. Website is thefoodpeople.co.uk. foodpeople.co.uk. Brilliant. Thefeedpeople.co.uk. And I did want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think my mind has been blown by all these future directions and trends. I'm going to get online and start looking at them to get some fresh inspiration. So thank you so much for your time today, Alison. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success.
1: Thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast when I think back on my chat with Alison Swindells from The Food People and reflect on what we've learned. And I took away three key suggestions about how you might be able to use trends to develop new food and beverage ideas for your business. Lesson number one, there is a trickle down effect to trends, especially in food and beverages that can be tracked and predicted. And now that you know the underlying macro drivers, you can be on the lookout for examples of these food and drink products as they move from being an emerging to a more mainstream offer. So firstly, try menu watching at high-end restaurants and cafes with thought-leading chefs. What ingredients are they using? Cooking techniques, language, presentation, and food philosophies. Then jump onto social media and watch your product or ingredient start to flow into food bloggers' streams and become a high-use hashtag. Next, you'll see it starting to pop up in fast food outlets, cafes and restaurant chains. And finally, you know it's hit the mainstream when it starts to appear on those retail grocery shelves. Now, we've seen this happen recently with plant-based meat substitutes. Look, over 10 years ago, they were appearing in niche vegan cafes and restaurants. Chefs started promoting it. Bloggers started writing about it. Well, most people huffed in disbelief about these meat alternatives like tofu, tempeh, corn and jackfruit. But then this year, we saw KFC in Atlanta, US offer a plant-based beyond meat chicken substitute that had customers queuing around the block. And now I can go down to my local Coles and Woolworths supermarket and find dedicated bays in the chilled meat section for plant-based meat alternatives. Lesson number two. If you want to create something new and unique in a future pipeline of new products, then don't get caught up on the current expression of a trend. Look at the underlying societal and macro drivers and focus on the next new way of satisfying these. For example... The desire to live a healthier and more sustainable life through functional health foods, well, that's a consumer need that's just going to be around for a long time. But the way that food and drinks satisfy that need is going to change significantly. And that offers you a plethora of new product opportunities. So stop racing to get on that bandwagon of coconuts or watermelon water, even maple and birch sap and go find the next new refreshing plant-based water alternative that will propel you ahead of the product innovation curve. By the way, experts are suggesting this category of plant-based water is going to continue to grow at up to 26% year-on-year up to the year 2023. So you've got plenty of time to get it right. And finally, lesson number three, It's helpful to remember that we're all operating in an industry that is filled with neophiles. That is, people who have a tendency to like anything new and different, especially in food and beverages. As product innovators, that gives us permission to be looking at societal trends, drivers, and even short-term fads as a source of inspiration for new products. That second pleasure-seeking half of the food people's trend wheel we spoke about today can be quite fad-driven. It's all about new flavors and shapes and visually arresting colors that will come and go. And so the secret here though is not to bank your entire business on a new product until you know it's based on a long-term trend. And what I mean by this is, it might be a good idea to add that new ingredient, try that new cooking style, or make that new claim with a current product recipe, or use your current packaging line, before you commit thousands of dollars in manufacturing or capital equipment. And I thought an example of this that I saw this summer was by Streets Cornetto. They launched an ice cream cone called Unicornetto. They really embraced mania for unicorns that has swept through TV shows, toys, clothing, party supplies, and stationery for kids. And the way they executed this product is they used their current wafer cone to make it appear as though that was the unicorn horn. They filled it with a new multicolored swirled ice cream recipe and they used a new pack design. It successfully tapped into the popular kids fad for unicorns while using existing capability in a really clever way. Well, that's it for this episode. Many thanks again to my guest today, Alison Swindles from The Food People, for sharing their 2020 and beyond food and beverage macro trends with us. If you're interested in taking an insider look at these global food and drink trends in more detail, or going on a food safari, or leverage the benefits of menu watching and making a cuisines map... I'll put in the links to the Food People's website in this podcast episode show notes so you can get in touch with Alison. And of course, I'd love to hear from you on this topic. You can download a free PDF of the Trend Wheel we spoke about today and let me know if it helped your business. Did it prompt any fresh or new product ideas? Or are you already leading the charge and out innovating your competitors with new products? You can give me a call on the Eat Drink Innovate Podcast Hotline. It's 613 and leave me a voicemail message. I hope you all have a very festive and food-filled holiday season. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to tell a friend and thank you again for listening. I look forward to joining you again in the new year to eat, drink,
0: and innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from.